0: Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Sermon by Jason Cherry on November 7th, Lord's Day Service. to which I'd like to direct your attention this morning are found in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went out among the villages teaching. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would use your word to make us zealous for you with the zeal based on knowledge and love. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. This is a passage where Jesus speaks a familiar proverb. And it's the center of the passage and it's found in verse four. So look with me at verse four, this familiar proverb. Virtually probably every single one of you has heard this proverb in verse four. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household." And if if you strip away all the, the, the double negatives, what this is saying is a prophet is not honored in his hometown. That's the proverb. A prophet is not honored in his hometown. And as we'll see, the main point of this proverb, when applied, is that those who are familiar with Jesus must be on guard. The point of this proverb when applied is that those of you who are familiar with Jesus must be on guard. Now the scene is this. Jesus returns to His hometown, meaning Nazareth. And it says in verse 1 that the disciples follow Him. And so this is probably the first time Jesus returns to Nazareth since He called the disciples. And so this is not a private family visit. This is not family thanksgiving. This is an official visit of a teacher and his followers. So how is Jesus received? Well, verse 2 says, On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Now this astonishment is not the type of amazement that leads to faith. And that's clear by the questions they then ask in verses 2 and 3. This is the sort of astonishment that leads to puzzled and skeptical questions. And so just look at the questions they ask in verses 2 and 3. Where did this man get these things? In other words, where did he get this knowledge? What is the wisdom given to him? In other words, wait, wait, that doesn't sound like Nazarene wisdom. How are such mighty works done by his hands? Which means they were aware of his miracles. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? In other words, wait, isn't he from an ordinary Nazareth or Nazarene family known to all? Are not his sisters here with us? In other words, I mean, part of his family still lives here in Nazareth. And so it then says in verse 3 that they took offense at him. And in response to their offense, Jesus says this familiar proverb, look at it again in verse 4, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And so as we look at how this scene develops and then we look at this familiar proverb that Jesus speaks, the question is, why did they take offense at him? The question is, why is a prophet not honored in his hometown? Why does a hometown reject a prophet that they produced? And in particular, why does Nazareth reject Jesus? And the answer is this. The reason a prophet is rejected by his hometown is because they can't understand where he got his wisdom. They can't understand where he got his knowledge. They can't understand where he got his mighty deeds. And so they look at him and they think, wait, wait, wait. He was raised among us. He attended Nazareth High School. He didn't have these things then when we really knew who he was. When we knew him as a boy, he didn't know these things. He didn't have this power. How is it that Jesus came to know these things? And so the hometown people look at Jesus and they see a guy that they've known since he was in diapers. They know his family. They remember when Mary used to wipe his nose. They, too, they know too much about him to think he can suddenly stroll into town and be God's mouthpiece. It's outrageous to think that this hometown kid, this is Nazareth, we all know what that means. It's outrageous to think that this hometown kid speaks for God. This is just a guy with ten fingers and ten toes. And all this raises another element of the proverb. Notice, it's not just that anyone is not honored in their hometown. It's that a prophet is not honored in their hometown. I mean, a lot of people return to their hometown and don't receive a big welcome, and they think, oh, yeah, yeah, prophet, not honored in his hometown. No, no, you you misunderstand. The, The idea isn't that anyone of importance is not honored in their hometown. In fact, ordinarily, people who gain great fame or prominence, when they return to their hometown, they are honored. When the hometown kid is the quarterback of the Super Bowl winning team, what do they do? They put up a billboard and say, town of so-and-so, and and then they throw him a parade. See, ordinarily, when someone of importance does something great and then returns to their hometown, they are honored. You see, the proverb says, a prophet is not honored in their hometown. And of course, Jesus is speaking this proverb in application to himself, which means that Jesus sees himself as a prophet. Prophets speak the word of God. Prophets stage encounters between God's word and the people. And so, Jesus comes to Nazareth not for a reunion. There is no expectation that he will be greeted by a welcoming committee. He is coming to stage an encounter between the Word of God and the people of Nazareth. And this is a meaningful thing. This is not an ordinary day. This is a day unlike the mundane activities of normal life. And so when the people of Nazareth look at Jesus, this familiar, ordinary fellow, at least as they see it, who they've known for three decades, and all of a sudden he comes as a prophet bearing the word of God, it's too much for them. And they reject him as a prophet. And they think, no, no, no. Prophets bring transcendent and divine truth. This guy's a carpenter. It's outrageous to think that he speaks on behalf of God. And for these reasons, they reject Jesus. They, being so familiar with Jesus, they look at Jesus with unbelief. And so then Jesus marveled at their unbelief. That's what it says in verse 6. It says, he marveled because of their unbelief. And what does Jesus do after he marvels at their unbelief? Well, it then says in verse 6, he went out among the villages teaching. In other words, he leaves. And one verse earlier, verse 5, it said, he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And so the implication is that because of their lack of faith, Jesus could do no mighty work there. But you have to understand that the relationship between those things. It's not that Jesus' power is limited by a lack of faith. I mean, verse 5 tells us he did heal a few sick people. So presumably they trusted Jesus. So what does verse 5 mean when it says he could do no mighty work there? Well, it's this idea, and you see it over and over again in Mark's gospel especially. It's this idea that Jesus will not force his miracles upon a hostile and skeptical audience. And what we see all throughout Scripture is that God gives grace in response to faith. It's not that Jesus is limited by a lack of faith. It's that in the economy of God's grace, he has chosen to give his grace in response to faith. In fact, Paul explains this in detail in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 16. God has ordained that grace comes in response to faith. So it's not that Jesus is limited by a lack of faith. And so as we see the scene and we see the context of this proverb, let us return again to the main point of this story, the main point of this proverb. And the main point is when it's applied that those who are familiar with Jesus must be on guard. Many of you here are familiar with Jesus. And so I'm telling you, the point of this proverb is that you, you who are most familiar with Jesus... You who have known Jesus for three decades, like the people of Nazareth knew Jesus for three decades, you must be on guard. And so let's consider three ways in particular we need to be on guard. Three admonitions to be on guard. First, you who are most familiar with Jesus, be on guard of the problem of familiarity and unbelief. Be on guard of the problem of familiarity and unbelief. As we see in Nazareth, those who are the most familiar with Jesus end up rejecting Him. That is, those who are raised in the church. Those who know all the stories of Jesus and can recite them over and over again, and each time it gets a little more mundane, kind of like we're singing happy birthday and it has no life to it. You've heard all the sermons about Jesus. Oh yeah, it's the sermon about that passage. I've heard that one six or seven times. You must be on guard when you are familiar with Jesus. We can never be too much on guard against our unbelief. It's the oldest sin in the world. It began in the Garden of Eden when Eve listened to the devil's promises instead of God's Word. It's the most ruinous of all sins... Just look at the consequences of unbelief. You can start by looking inside your own home and inside your own relationships. Just look at the consequences of unbelief. And then look inside Scripture. Unbelief brought death into the world. Unbelief kept Israel out of Canaan for 40 years. It's the most foolish and inconsistent of all sins. It makes people refuse the plainest evidence. It makes people shut their ears against the clearest testimony. Athanasius, the great church father, wrote, Mankind proved they wanted to worship a man, so God condescended and gave them a man worthy of worship. And what Athanasius is saying there in his, his delightful little book on the incarnation, Athanasius is pointing to kind of the broader context of Jesus' incarnation. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is endlessly honored in heaven. But when he takes the form of a man, the other men don't worship him. It's the problem of unbelief, and we must be on guard, especially you who are familiar with Jesus. Be on guard of the problem of familiarity and unbelief. Second, you who are familiar with Jesus, be on guard of the problem of belittling things with which we are familiar Be on guard of the problem of belittling things with which you are familiar. We see in the story the Nazarenes are offended at our Lord. They do not think it's possible that one who lived so many years among them deserved to be followed as a prophet. For 30 years the Son of God resides in this town, goes to and fro in the streets. For 30 years the Son of God lives a blameless and perfect life in their midst, and it is all lost on them. They are not ready to believe the Gospel. But this shouldn't surprise us. The same thing happens all the time in churches today. The Holy Scriptures are read. The Gospel is preached. The sacraments are administered. Prayers are prayed. And through all of it, church members are tempted, especially when this happens Sunday after Sunday, years after years, decade after decade, church members are tempted to become fatigued with these things. Oh, it's Sunday. Okay, they're going to read the Bible. Okay, they're going to do the sermon. Okay, now we're going to do the bread and the wine. There's going to be some prayer. We get fatigued with it over time. We belittle things we're familiar with. That is, we make them little. We take this grand thing, this big thing, the Word of God or the sacraments, and we make them much smaller than they are just because of our familiarity. We get fatigued with these things. We begin to see these things as just ritual. It's just rote repetition and nothing more and in that fatigue what happens is is we forget that it's a privilege we forget that it's a privilege to receive the word of god to receive the sacrament to receive the prayers and so on we forget that it's a privilege and so what do we do well we keep showing up because we still believe but we're just going through the motions, just like a fatigued person goes through the motions. We stop leaning into those things because I've heard that passage read before. Oh, I've heard that kind of prayer before. I've done the sacraments before. And so we stop leaning in and we stop focusing on the words of the hymn. For example, we stop really confessing during the time of confession. We just kind of say something. And eight seconds later, I don't even know what it was. We stop reflecting on the sermon. We stop feasting on Christ's body and blood. This is what happens. We belittle things we are familiar with. And the moment we make our devotion to the Lord this mechanical and empty thing, we are belittling the Lord of glory. We are making smaller the Lord of glory. And so, you who are familiar with Christ, be on guard. Be on guard of the fatigue that sets in over time. Be on guard of belittling the things you are familiar with. And so first, we must be on guard of the problem of familiarity and unbelief. Second, we must be on guard of the problem of belittling things we are familiar with. And third, we need to be on guard of the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. You see, familiarity can breed forgetfulness. We are lulled to sleep by things we're familiar with. And so how does this work in Christianity? Well, in Christianity, if someone starts talking about something I've already figured out, or if I read something I've heard a hundred times, then I just breeze over it. Oh, yeah, it's that thing, yeah. And we just kind of skip over it in our minds, in our hearts. Well, if you do that for a period of years with the great truths of the gospel, then it becomes a dangerous forgetfulness. what, What you're doing there with the constant breezing over or with the constant skipping over is you are cultivating forgetfulness. Because... It's just the ordinary course of life, we become careless with things we're familiar with. This is why husbands stop telling their wives they love them. This is why husbands, after a period of years, stop giving devotion to their children. We just become careless with things we're familiar with. This is why the elders of churches sometimes get careless and they just really go through the motions after a few years. This is why bosses get the way they do towards their employees of 10 or 15 years, they just kind of take them for granted. We become careless with things we're familiar with. This happens all the time. This is the ordinary course of just living life in this world. And so we must be aware of it, especially in application to the King of creation, Jesus Christ. And you're already making a mistake because w- when you're hearing me talk about the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness, you're probably thinking that I'm talking about the cognition of knowledge. And that's not primarily the point. It- it's not that uh, that you become so familiar with something and you're lulled to sleep that the ideas just magically disappear from your head. No. The- the content is often still there. The ideas are still there. The data is still there. What we're talking about, if knowledge is living, if knowledge is devotion, that's when we forget that's when we forget what we know, when we, are, we become careless with it, because we stop living it. It's not that the ideas are out of our head, it's that we don't care enough about the ideas in our head that we stop living it. It's that we don't care enough about the ideas in our head that we're no longer devoted to it. It's in that sense in which familiarity can breed forgetfulness. That's what John Owen meant when he wrote, John Owen, the great period, and he wrote, Men grow tired of hearing the word only after they've grown tired of putting it into practice. It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We forget. We forget, We forget. for example, who God is. We forget who God is. And so we live day by day wondering if God is angry with us. But hear this. If you're struggling with the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness and you have forgotten who God is, hear this, dear Christian. If you've forgotten who God is, well, if you are a child of God, you are beloved by the Father. His anger has been put away in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And He is not brooding in anger over you. He is delighting in you as a child of God. It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We forget. We forget how seductive temptation to sin can be. And so over a period of years, we think, yeah, yeah, I haven't sinned like that in a while, so I don't really need to be on guard against it anymore. And so, as time builds, we forget. And so we live nonchalantly and blithely towards the world's temptations to sin. And we think, yeah, I don't struggle with that sin anymore. It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We forget. And if you're one who has forgotten how seductive temptation to sin can be, then hear this, dear Christian. You must continually, day by day, fight the fight of faith. Paul says in Galatians 5.17 that the desires of the flesh are set against the desires of the Spirit. Well, that doesn't change after 10 years of being a Christian. We still, day by day, must fight the fight of faith. Guess what wins in the battle between the flesh and the Spirit? Guess what wins when you stop fighting? It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We forget. We forget, for example, our need for the body of Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've seen it that people who start to get older stop thinking Involvement in the fellowship of the church really matters. And they have their reasons and they have their excuses. But over time, we forget our need for the body of Christ. And so we just start living as if Christianity is this solo flight across the Atlantic. But hear this, if you're struggling with the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness and you have started to forget your need for the people of God, forget your need of the body of Christ, hear this, dear Christian. Christianity is a group project. And guess what happens when you try to fly solo across the great ocean? It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We forget. We forget about the resources we have in Christ. And so, we just put it on autopilot and we go stretches of time without even consulting God's Word. We go stretches of time without consulting the Lord in prayer. It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. And so hear this. If you have forgotten about the great resources we have in Christ, then hear this, dear Christian. God has given you encouragement, protection, and freedom in the Word of God and in prayer. And guess what happens when we seek our encouragement, protection, and freedom from the prophets of the secular age? It's the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We have to be on guard, or this is going to set in, and this is going to become you. I don't know if you noticed, but in both of Peter's letters, both 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he tells the church to remember. And then he just writes a bunch of stuff they already know. That's really instructive. Because Peter seemed to understand the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness. We must be on guard against the type of forgetfulness that comes with familiarity. And so then you might think, okay, well then how do we do that? How do we be on guard? I want to be on guard. What do I do? How do we guard against the problem of familiarity and unbelief? How do we guard against the problem of belittling things we're familiar with? How do we guard against the problem of familiarity and forgetfulness? And, and, and the truth is, each of those three things probably has a more specific answer that's kind of you know, nuanced for each of those three things and if you're looking for some good conversation with your family this week, maybe you guys can talk together about how specifically can we in our house, in our family, in the context of our lives, guard against these things in each of these three categories. But there is one thing that should guide us as we guard against these things. To be on guard against these problems that familiarity breeds, we must, we must you who are familiar with the things of Christ, you must continue to study and apply the things of Christ. You must continue to study and apply the things of Christ. Now, make no mistake, there are many people in the Gospels who did not grow up in Nazareth with Jesus, and then they also come into Jesus' presence with skepticism. And so really, a lot of this applies to everybody. There's a certain type of unbelief that familiarity can breed and of course there's all sorts of unbelief that unfamiliarity brings with it and so when any person comes into the presence of Jesus he will find whether he wishes it or not whether he grew up in Nazareth or not he will find that all of those things which make Jesus different from other men they can be explained away I can explain that away kind of like what Larson was talking about in the exhortation I can use some logic and explain this. That's what we do. That's what people do. This is what unbelief does. It explains away Jesus. The people in Nazareth explain away Jesus. You saw the list of questions in verses 2 and 3. They explain away Jesus. Why? Because they grew up with him and they're familiar with him. And so, this passage is primarily a warning to you. If you are familiar with Christ, do not be deceived like the people of Nazareth. They found reason to reject Him because of their familiarity. If you are familiar with the things of Christ, do not follow their example. We read in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, of Christ sitting on His throne, and then it says, from His presence, earth and sky fled away. Well, that's kind of what we do. We come into His presence, and then we flee Him. We come into his presence and we explain him away. But instead of explaining Jesus away, instead of fleeing from him, I urge you, especially you who are most familiar with Christ, I urge you to continue to study and apply the things of Christ. And someone here is thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah you, you say all that, but I thought, I thought familiarity breeds contempt. I thought familiarity breeds contempt, and so doesn't that then mean that the solution is to think of Christ less? And the answer to that question is no, that's not the solution to this particular problem of familiarity. The solution to familiarity breeds contempts, in application to Jesus Christ, is not to become unfamiliar. The solution is to continue to study and apply the things of Christ. And here's why. It's important you understand why. It's because, yes, over time, familiarity can breed some of these problems that we've talked about. Just like it happened to the people of Nazareth. That can happen. We all know that. But we must continue to study and apply the things of Christ because it can happen to any of us in any moment in the twinkling of an eye, in a time too small to be measured, in any place, all of those excuses that we've come up with for explaining Christ away can just drop away. And we will see the Lord of glory. And when you behold the Lord of glory, you can't help but believe. You can't help but willingly put your faith and trust in Him and love Him. All that seems to divide us from Christ can flee away. It can vanish, leaving us exposed before Him as if nothing but you and Him existed. And so we must continue to study the things of Christ because that's what will happen eventually. And you also must understand, all of you, whether you're familiar with the things of Christ or not, whether you identify as a Christian or not, all of you right now will one day meet Jesus face to face. This is what Philippians 2 to verse 10 tells us whether you're a Christian or not you will come before the throne of Jesus Christ and since that is where this is all going that's the end game of the world you before the throne of Christ there is no use in fleeing him now there is no use in explaining him away now there is no use in becoming unfamiliar with him there is no use in just settling into and allowing your contempt that came from your familiarity to become your settled state. Contact with Jesus cannot be avoided for long. And since being in Jesus' presence is either bliss or horror, as C.S. Lewis says, the business of life is to learn to love it. The business of life is to learn to love it. And so a familiarity is breeding contempt in your heart right now. Realize that your job right now is to study the things of Christ. Study and apply the things of Christ. Because the business of life is to learn to love, to be in the presence of Christ. And so you must set yourself on Christ. Study the things of Christ even when you don't want to. Even when there's contempt in your heart. Study and apply the things of Christ until that contempt turns to reverence, until that scorn turns to admiration, and until that disdain turns to worship. Let's close by praying together. Heavenly Father, We know that the Nazarene's rejection of Jesus foreshadows Jesus' ultimate rejection in Jerusalem. It wasn't just the people of Nazareth who rejected Jesus. It was Israel who crucified Him. And so we confess that we too struggle with the sin of unbelief. And so we ask that through the power of Christ's death and resurrection, where He absorbed the penalty for sin that was due to us, that you would give us the gift that conquers all namely faith in the conquering king Jesus we pray this in Jesus name amen thanks for listening if you want to find out more check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com that's trinityreformedkirk.com